My name is Ollie Beer and this is... Tim Warwood. A man whose website says, I was born lacking the filter between my brain and mouth. Is it me or is snow getting colder? And this is The Apre, where we raise a shot of Jaeger to all things winter sports. Coming up... So I said to the barman, can I set fire to your bar? And he was like... <laughs> Not sure. And I said, what about if I take my top off? Four-time Winter Olympian Shemi Alcott sets fire to this podcast with her stories from the slopes. Tim tells me why the Chinese are riding high. And Ollie has a wiki comeuppance. That's all to come. As the bottom of the piste slush crusts into that horrible crunchy crap in the shadow of the mountain, the whirring of the lift fades into the gentle winds of the hills. We've hunkered down yet again in our picturesque log cabin, tossed off our helmets, ready for yet another perfectly formed slither of mountainy goodness. What are you laughing at? <laughs> How can you expect me to not laugh at that? <laughs> How could you expect me to... I was actually oh. really pleased with that. I think that is the best thing I've done all day. It's the best thing you've done all month. You ready for the news? I am, yeah. Go on, hit me. What we got? Eileen Goo makes history in Aspen. Now, this isn't some kind of fancy chocolatey dessert. In fact, are they called Goos? What are they called? You know the little... Yeah, Goo. G-U, Goo. Yeah, the, yeah. The little accent on. Yeah. Of the same name. We're talking Eileen Goo. 17-year-old Chinese skier who has made the history books, rewritten the history books, because she won both the women's halfpipe and slope-style skiing world championship crowns. Skied with a broken hand, Uzi style, grew up skiing uh, the mountains in North America. But the Chinese, the, the rest of the Chinese team, now certainly from snowboarding and talking from the snowboard side of things, because this is what I definitely know more than the freestyle side of things, is that they have a very good freestyle program. And in many ways, what they've done is trained snowboarding like you would gymnastics, for instance. It's kind of like, this is how you do your handstand. You put you there, you do this and you do that. And what they've done is they've said, right, this is how you do your 1080 on your snowboard. You throw your shoulders, you do this. And they've, all, they've, they've almost created these snowboarders, these freestyle snowboarders. Certainly the last two Olympic cycles, they were almost styleless, robots of snowboarding almost. And I know that sounds really bad, but it's actually just the truth. You know, they don't really have this culture. Now, snowboarding and freestyle skiing, very much a soul sport, very much a free sport, where it's all about style, where how you look and how you ride is as much as the tricks and the results themselves as well. So in China, they're all about results and actually the style and how it looks has, hasn't always, been, um, hasn't always been, been there. But that being said, now we're starting to see their progression into start. They've got a very strong team. They've got top 10 uh, snowboarders, male and female snowboarders on their day, top five on their day easily. And I think Beijing 2022 next year. Wow, that came around quick. Um, I think we definitely might see some uh, Chinese medals for sure. Wait, so, I mean, is Eileen Gu, is she a contender? 100%. Yeah. You know, this kind of form, she's 17 now. She's only been competing for properly for two years she won the halfpipe skiing with a broken hand she didn't even ride with poles it's the first time she's ever skied without poles and she mm. still claimed the top spot so yeah certainly going into the olympics 2022 it's hers to lose yeah. what else you got well 
Going to stick with the world champs, James Woods, our freestyle skier, defending champion, had to relinquish his crown to Andre Rigetli from uh, Switzerland. Um, Rigetli, unstoppable when it comes to world champs and world cups, um, always a podium threat. He smashed it out of the park. Woodsy could only manage a fourth place, which actually is very good because he's coming off the back of an injury. So that's a really good place for, for Woodsy. And puts him in good contention for the Olympics next year. Katie Ormrod, um, friend of the podcast, she uh, managed a tenth in the slope style. She didn't qualify in the big air, but she's, again, coming off the back of that injury, that shoulder injury, and she's just super happy to be riding. And her Instagram was full of smiles and pretty rad snowboarding, so always worth a look. <laughs> Hang on, that's not a mic shield. What are your pants doing on my microphone stand? They've got another day's wear out of them. This is unbelievable. This is getting out of hand now. Look at it. Look at the place. Right, that's it. I'm Marie Kondo in your clothes. You're n- no, not again. I am. I've had enough. No, I'll just unroll them. No, it's disgusting. And I'm going to roll them up the moment I've answered the door to this fictitious log cabin. Who's that? Jenny, it's Jenny. Also known as Jenny. If you don't know me that well. It's Jemmy Alcott, everybody! Let her in, let her in. Let me in! Oh, it's very cold out here. I've got nippy tits. Okay. (laughs) Now listen, seven-time, correct me if I'm wrong, British national champion. This lady is a monumental force in Alpine ski racing. Her career has seen her compete in four Winter Olympics and seven FIS World Championships. A career born from family ski holidays and UK-based dry ski slopes. Her dominance on the hill is matched by her effervescing personality, which has seen her become the newest and, in mine and Ollie's opinion, bestest face of the BBC Ski Sunday team. It's Shemi Shemaine, Shemaine, got no brain. That is why she's insane. Insane in the membrane. Insane in the brain. What a way to start. Well, well, sit down. Make yourself comfortable. Do you like uh, Do you like Gluvine? What's your What's your drink of choice? If you're, you know, or what time of day is it? Uh, well, the, you know, the mountains have just, uh, you know, tucked themselves away for the night. No, sun's just dipping down. Aperol spritz, please. I'll start with an Aperol spritz. Cause... Oh, hang on. Let me just get one of them. Yep, yep. With the lovely orange tang. Nice. I like the round goblet glass. Oh, yeah, I've got one of those. Yeah, here you go. Oh, this is good. This is is good straight. Yeah, that's that's down in one. Now, Shem, you've been around the block a little bit. Oh, in a good way. So much, so much. In a good way. Did I put ice in there? No, 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 no. I don't need ice. (laughs) What were the early days of ski racing like? Because, in many ways, I guess quite similar to snowboard, at least I'd like to hope so, that actually the training was done in the bar, wasn't it? The training in snowboarding back in the day, it was. You know, you'd have a few beers, you'd be getting ready and, you know, the night before the competition. Or, or is it all, has it always been super serious? No, or is it, it a bit more... Because it is, they do party on that, on that Tim, tour as well, Tim, don't we they? wear lycra for a living. We're like the nerds of the slope just looking for speed. <laughs> and I have this quite big personality, so everyone always presumes that I'm half drunk all the time, but I'm not. It's just like my natural energy. And, and I have to say that, no, I used to sometimes, I get so hyper when I'm in social environments that I pretend that I'm drunk because otherwise people don't get it. 
so no, I was always quite square and deadly serious until the end of the season. So there's this thing called the Carlsberg High Five, and I got an invite one year with all these like big names in ski racing, and I was like, right, I'm the underdog here, I'm the Brit, and it's like all these events and you racing as a pro, um, and then at the end of it, you work behind the bar. And I was like, God, I've got to make my mark. So I got absolutely totaled. And I was obsessed with Coyote Ugly. This is how long ago it was. So I said to the barman, can I set fire to your bar? And he was like, (laughs) not sure. And I said, what about if I take my top off? I've got a rainbow colored bra on. Then can I set fire to the bar? And he's like, okay. I like, I did this like strip of alcohol all down the bar and set fire to it. And it was just crazy. And then I got invited back the next year. And I'm like, how do I top that? And then every year I just had to go crazy and crazier. So at the end of the season, I had this big party. And so I was kind of, and that's the only time I ever really socialised with people. And as we know, Verbio's loads of Brits. So everyone just thinks, oh my God, she's just mental. But it was like once a year, <laughs> once a year I was mental. Have you, I mean, have you always been like that? Or is that like something that just popped up in your teen years? Or I mean, have you just been like that since a kid? Because you started really young as well, didn't you, skiing? How old were you when you started? Um, I went down to New Zealand when I was 10 on my own for two months and I did all my growing up in the Southern Hemisphere. So every year between 10 and 18, I went down to New Zealand. It's where I did all my boy stuff. I did all my hair dyeing, all my tattoos. Like I came back and for 10 months of the year, I was this perfect daughter, you know, perfect academics, all about ski racing. And then I went to New Zealand on my own. And I was just wild. Like, I mean, I found spates very young and I just shouldn't have. But um, I remember I fancied this tattooist down there when I was 14. And so I pretended I was older and I got like my nose pierced, my belly button pierced and this stupid little saint tattoo just so that I could keep seeing this crazy guy who had the world record for suspension from his nipples. Like, like so, like I am this like London schoolgirl going for like four A's at A level and Olympics, but I had this like wild child and she just kept coming out in the summers and I kept putting her back in the box for the rest of the year. So how did how did those trips to New Zealand come about then? Is that was that a family? You got family out there or? Um, no, I uh, there was this um, kind of British team, young academy that were running camps for teenagers, and this is so. I mean, I'm so old. It's before the internet, so I remember seeing it at my dry ski, ski slope, and it was had those you know the, the like pull off telephone numbers to call at the bottom, all snipped up. No, so I, yeah. brilliant. So I pulled that off and I got home and I sat on my kitchen table, pulled the corded telephone off, called them yeah. and said, look, I'm not old enough, but let me tell you why I should be going to New Zealand. Because I was so determined and obsessed with skiing. Um, and they were like, okay, okay. And I said, listen, and he said, look, we really need to speak to your parents. So then when my mum came in, I was like, right, okay, I've got a plan. I put my side of the argument through that I should go into New Zealand. And she said, listen, this is quite a, you know, a big financial and time commitment for the whole family. I've got older brothers and my mum was thinking that I was saying, can we all go to New Zealand? And I was like, no, 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 just me, just me. And so I went somehow. I persuaded this guy at 10 years old that I was good enough to be with the teenagers. Um, and I loved it. Like this was the time where I only called home Tuesdays, 8 p.m. with a one tell phone card. And I cried on the wow. fo- on the plane coming home. I did not want to come home. What was the hook for you when you first got into skiing? Was it the speed of it or was there something else? I'm a bit of a people pleaser. Um, and right. weirdly, I love ski racing because I could be friends with the people I raced against. So my other sport was tennis. I used to play for South of England and I was a really aggressive tennis player. And actually, if I'd kept going and pursued it, it, I would have probably been quite successful because that's when Serena Williams came through and everything. Whereas I grew up watching Steffi Graf, who had all this like 
efficiency that I didn't have. I just wanted to kill the ball and win the point on the first ball all the time, just like right. my personality. And actually, it ended up breaking me mentally at really young age because it was such a battle. Like the girl I was competing against, they would cheat. You have to, you have to um, have, make your own decisions when you're that age. You don't have umpires. And, and I remember it was a big Guardian t- tennis tournament and this girl cheated. She said my ball was out and I crumbled, literally, match point, I crumbled and threw away the game. Because I just, I just couldn't come back from the fact that she just wanted to beat me. And every time we crossed the net, it was like nastiness. Whereas Tim will know this, but everyone in the mountain has so much respect for everyone else. And in skiing, I guess, because I you know, became a downhiller, there's so much danger involved. If I ski my best and someone comes down and whips my butt by two seconds, you shake their hand and you say, you know, good on you. Um, and if mm-hmm. the powder comes, you go and share the mountain together. So I think... I loved the sport straight away because I could be friends with the people that I was directly comparing myself to. It's a graft as well, isn't it? It's such a graft to get there. You know that everybody in that start gate has put in the same amount mm. of effort, if not more than what you have. So you, there's that, you get that respect instantly as well. Yeah, definitely. I think the respect, I think the fact that you're, you're being prepared to go on your limit and someone every race is going to be helicoptered away and, and we have that emotional... Uh, attachment to each other because we know that it could be any one of us each time and it's it's just an amazing sport like you know having having been quite sporty in my youth with lots of other sports um the only thing I wish is that that, that I had more of a team around me because I was the only girl in Britain I had to go and join the Norwegians and then the Canadians um just to have some mates and that's why I talked to everyone because I've never wanted to be alone in the mountain and uh I just think that would be the only thing that when I was younger, I wish there was like a group around me. Like my husband, he's a downhill ski racer. And um, actually the first thing I ever said to him, which is, sounds terrible, but I'm going to tell you because um, when I introduced myself to him uh, when he was 18, I was like, I'm Shemi. He's like, yeah, I know you're Shemi. And I was like, okay, all right. And he's like, well, we've been living in the same house for like three years. And I was like, oh, we ha- <laughs> what? And he's like, you've not noticed me before. And I'm like, of course, what do you mean? Like, I'm sorry. And he's like, well, I know who you are. And I said, yes, but I'm the only girl. I'm one of one. And you're one of, you know, many of you. I said, you're one of many, was the first thing I said to my now you're husband. You're one of many. You're one of many. There's, lo- there's loads of you. I mean, Ollie, I grew up, I've got older brothers, like three older brothers. I was always surrounded by guys. That's like kind of my nature, my personality. I thought I was a, a guy's girl, tomboy when I was younger. I've now grown very much into a girl's girl as I got older. But I think... Um, I, I didn't know. The best is when I was really young in the sport, there was no gender specific racing. So I remember going up to Scotland for Bairns racing and it was girls and boys together. And I just felt it was always such a win-win to be a girl in this sport where if I won, it was just epic. And if I didn't win, everyone was like, oh, you're a girl, you're not supposed to win. So I, it was still a win-win. So it was kind of great because I was like, right, I, I don't need to just beat these guys. I need to beat everyone. And I think that competitiveness really instilled like a real dis- steely determination in me. Hence going, deciding at 10 years old, I mean 10 years old now, who, who can't like spend a night away from their parents. And I was like, I, I want to oh, go. Yeah. This is my dream. And I'm and I'm. I'm going to get it. I know 10-year-olds that aren't allowed to use metal knives and forks. <laughs> He's talking, are you talking about your own household, Tim? Lila, put that down. <laughs> um, do you know what? It's really funny you mentioned that about there being non-gender specific races because actually when I first started snowboard racing, parallel slalom was in the UK. The British Championships was boys and girls. And the best in the business was Charlotte Dutton. And it was always me versus Charlotte Dutton in all the finals. 
sort of job, all around on the dry slope. Well, from both of you, then, what changed that? Was there a, like a conscious change in 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 snowboarding and skiing to go right? Okay, we're going to split the disciplines now. Do you know? I just don't think there were. It's certainly in snowboarding back then. In, I mean, we're talking what ninety three, ninety four. There was there weren't many girls doing it. I think that's all it was. It was like, oh, there's only two girls. You might as well jump in with the men. But I, I actually think if I was to kind of take over politics of our sport, which I never would, um, I think young racing should be uh, girls and boys. I think it just pushes you. You know, it shouldn't be something that inhibits you or gives you an edge when you're younger. Boys shouldn't go, oh, I'm a boy, I should win. You know, you shouldn't have that attitude at all. You were brilliant this year on Ski Sunday. You were absolutely brilliant and we loved watching you. Did you enjoy it as much as it looked like you enjoyed it, working with Ed and presenting Ski Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I knew I was going to enjoy it. It was always my dream to do this show. And I think this year I felt extra special and extra fortunate because, you know, people like you, Tim, and Jenny, who, who love snow sports, are stuck in the UK. So I felt like... I had to enjoy every moment. And as I know, Zoid, our cameraman, talked about frothing all the time, but we were out there trying to get as much in as we could. It was hard with Ed being injured, and I can say that now because everyone knows that, yeah. and kind of covering for that and, um, you know, feeling his pain. I really struggled, actually, to stand next to him um, when I could see he was in pain. And I kept fluffing my lines because I knew I had to be perfect. And I knew there was this extra pressure on me. But those guys are, I mean, they're amazing and they really like bring out the best in everyone. And I, I absolutely loved it. And I absolutely love that, you know, I took a bit of a chance on doing these technical analysis bits. And I know you're not a big ski race fan, but I had such good feedback for it. And, you know, I wanted to go fast one week. So I was like, right, let's do something on aerodynamics. And so I can go 100 miles an hour. And, and people loved it. So it was great to kind of, in your first ever kind of step up as a, as a lead to get that kind of creative input and to it being super well so i loved it and i feel so lucky what's the fastest you've ever been on skis so the fastest in a race was 92 miles an hour um but when we filmed ski sunday this year i actually went over 100 miles an hour but we didn't know if our risk assessment could cover that so we pretended it was 96 (laughs) miles an hour (laughs) that sounds sounds way better i got i knew i was fast ollie because my lips started just going. I love it. It's actually, it's actually quite easy to go that fast. And I remember um, I was very fortunate when I was younger to be sponsored by a car company and they gave me a very fast car. And the first time the police pulled me over and I was going exceedingly fast, I said, yes, but I can ski faster than this. And I was like, I'm protected in a car, surely. I mean, I was a bit of an obnoxious little twat because I was young in this very fast car. The policeman didn't take it kindly that I said, well, I can ski faster than I've just been driving. So yeah, that that's thing, not advisable. We haven't we haven't spoken about your love of motorsports at all, actually. I don't know how much time we're going to have for it, but you've got your motor racing licence. I have, yeah. Uh, with Patrick Stewart. Can you what? imagine? Yeah. Right, what? What do you mean you did it with him? You got your licence as in he was getting his as well? You were getting so it at the same time? We, we were supposed to be doing this celebrity car race, and I actually ended up missing it because I was going to New Zealand, and I thought I might miss it, but then I saw his name down. I was like, I'll go and do the training day. And it was myself and him and a bunch of footballers. And um, so we got put together because we were the only two who didn't know each other. And, oh, my God, it was unbelievable, like, sharing the day with him and his voice. Like, I was sitting in his car just the whole day, shutting my eyes, just going, this is just, I'm in another world right now. With all that talk about mountains, I think it's about time we hit the mountain. The chairlift, Shemi, a convenient, well-thought-out method of mountain transport or a vertigo nightmare conjured up by an evil genius. We think it's neither of those. No, for us, the chairlift, 
damn it, even a gondola, is simply a cable from which carefully carved chatter dangles. And it's that chatter that we want from you, Shemi. We want a story, so give us a story. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to give I'm going to give a story that turns into like a top tip for people. In ski racing, it's quite a big deal to make the bib draw, and I'd never made one before. And I went to St Anton, which is obviously full of Brits, and um, I made this bib draw, which meant that I was one of the top ten in the training runs, and I got to go on stage and make this massive announcement. And I went on stage, and and I, I have two ways of reacting to adrenaline and fear, and this time. I just saw these people like chanting my name. I don't even think they were chanting my name. I think they were asking for more shots, but whatever. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? I know what I do. I pull up my top. Oh my God, and my first. And it, it turns out, Ollie, this is actually my last ever bib draw. This is the only bib draw that I ever qualified for. And what did I do? I freaked out on stage, did these like stupid moves and lifted up my top and showed everyone. Every, I mean, there's nothing to see, but... I, there's got to be there's as, some psychological thing yes, there, deep-seated there psychological... Oh, my God. <gasps> as I was doing it, I literally, I got to nipple height and I knew what was happening. And I was like, don't do it, Shemi, don't do it. Oh, God, you've done it. Because of that, I had this reputation of being quite wild, which is absolutely not true. So anyway, so that when you get pregnant... Th- hang on, wait, sorry. This isn't the story. This is just you... <laughs> no, <laughs> <is that right>? <laughs> <laughs> And, and I got pregnant after I'd retired, but I was doing all these cool events and hosting and all these folly deuce events. And I obviously couldn't tell anyone I was pregnant um, for the first three months, but I was out there and I was basically, I felt like I was being paid and I had to still be a bit wild. So I was like, right, how can I do this? How can I do this? So I mastered the art of fake drinking, fake drinking. Oh my God. I, except basically every time we went out, I got a green beer in a bottle poured the beer over my shoulder which everyone thinks is normal for me as well because I have some dodgy dance moves and then I just you know shots after shots after shots in the mouth <coughs> spitting them out in the beer in the mouth spitting them out the beer no one's noticing except for the fact that I used to go a bit over the top with it so I remember I was hosting this legends event and I was pregnant and people like People are trying to keep up with me, I realised. And I have, I'm hosting this event with all these really big rugby lads and they're all on the floor of Folly Deuce. And I'm like, oh my God, I've gone too far. And the next day someone's like, Shemi. Because <laughs> you're all basically yeah. going, more shots, let's yeah. do more yeah. shots. And you're yeah. not even drinking. Yeah. So, so it turned out that in Folly Deuce, before 4.30, we'd done 30 shots each. When we got the bill, we were just like, and, I, and everyone's like, how are you even coherent? And I obviously had to settle the bill. And um, oh my God, thankfully, thankfully, this crazy event, um, it was like Will Greenwood's company. They'd actually organised a helicopter to take these guys back. And it was a taxi. That's why you're allowed it in France, because it was definitely a taxi, not a helicopter ski event. But yes, and the next morning, oh my God, I ruined everyone for the whole trip. There was like alcohol poisoning. There was... And I just realised, oh my gosh, I actually don't need to be as wild as I think people think I am. So there's this kind of really warped <laughs> thing. But I, I do it all the time. Now, we know that you know how to make your way down slopes, but can you do it while we drag your brain through perhaps the most challenging course of its life. To get to the bottom of a Super G course, you're going to have to answer some questions if you want to do it in a fast time and hit all the gates and the apexes. Okay. This is a mischievous game which I have called the Game of Strife. Uh, I've picked through some key moments in your life and career to formulate some questions which you should, should 
know the answers to. Get a question wrong, and it's a shattered femur straight into the barrier. But get one right, and the crowd will rightly cheer you on. You'll hear the bells ding-a-ling-a-linging, and the turns will feel effortless. Good. Let's go. You're named after Sevilla Loren's character in the 1961 film El Cid, but what was the name of her character? Shemaine. Donna Shemina. Yes, because that, that's my name. Shemaine is my real name. Nah, that's why I'm named after the, her. You didn't give me the full name, though. Shemi is a shortened form of Shemaine. Do you know what? I'm going to be harsh. I'm going to be harsh. No, Tim, okay. she's fallen over. Give me the commentary. Oh, God. Absolutely not. She's out of the gate. She's <laughs> on a flyer. And that first top section has been beautiful. Skied to precision. Can't believe you went against my rule here. You were inducted into the London Youth Games Hall of Fame in 2011. Name two other inductees in 2011. Oh. I've heard of two. Okay, I'm just going to go for the only two that I know. Linford Christie, not the same age as me, and Denise Lewis, because I know those were two, but a little bit before me. Yeah, and not in 2011. Uh, I would have given you Dalton Grant, a high jumper, Tim Don, triathlete, Paul Johnson, squash, or Rachel Yankee. Oh, she's missed that turn. She's turned far too late then. It's put her wide, and now she's struggling to keep that high line. Am I bleeding time, Tim? I'm bleeding time. You are a little bit. You, oh. You're still within touching distance. Though. Okay. You were born in Hove. What phrase famously used by Hove Borough Council to promote the area do residents of Hove say when asked, do you live in Brighton? Oh my God, Ollie, you're going to hate this, but actually that's a wrong fact. It's on Wikipedia, but I've never changed it because I, I, I was born in Twickenham and I was <laughs> Do you know the answer? <laughs> no. Right, she's crashing, Tim. Oh, she hugs this next gate very tight. Oh, she's clipped the ski tip. In 2008, you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. How yes. tall is it to the nearest metre? Oh! I mean, you've been to the top of it. Come on. 5,845. It's not right. It's 5,895. I, I'm actually quite surprised I was that close. I was out of it. The last 200 metres, I was walking like a complete drunk woman. I was really messed up. She can see the finish line. She can see the finish area. She's skiing for pride now. Into the final gate. According to Wiki, which we now know is bullshit. <laughs> you live in Hampton Court. Who built the original palace? Well, I mean, I know it was built for Henry VIII and Cardinal Wolsey was heavily involved because the pub is still the Wolsey pub. So I'm going to go for Cardinal Wolsey. She's only got it right! Oh my God, what a history! Flies down, ducks for the line and it's actually greens on the last sector, believe it or not, but it's not enough. Oh... Should we move on to some music now? You ready for oh, some music? Yeah. Move it on, Ollie. Use oh, it, yeah. Music, Shemi, is to the mountains what butter is to toast. Jelly to ice cream. Sooty to sweep. It accompanies the grandeur and beauty of the scenery uh, in an indescribable way. And we're going to ask you to now describe. Does that make sense, what I just said? I don't think it did, but it sounded like <laughs> you put so much effort into it. I think we'll let you off. What he's saying, what he's essentially saying is there, can you tell us what song do you listen to on the way up the chairlift, please? Okay, way up, way up, first chair of the day, follow the sun, Xavier Rudd. 
why that then? Why Xavier Rudd? Takes me back to having a few drinks at Single Fins in front of Uluwatu Wave in Bali. Um, and I was probably my calmest, most serene self I've ever been. Um, and it really like kind of pulls everything in and focuses me. So I really like to start the day with that. So do you surf? Do you surf? I do. I do surf. Yeah. Any good? Uh, no, I used to be okay, but I've got this like metal right leg now, and so my right leg has got pretty poor flexion. So I have quite my own style, put it that way, and I stick my bum out quite high, and I don't bend my legs a lot. So I'm like folded over, but it works. It works. And then at the top, I'll probably listen to change up the mode completely, uh, titanium, because I used to have titanium in my leg and my serviceman used to sing it always when I went out the start gate. But actually it never worked because it just reminded me that I was so ruined and my body was full of metal, but they thought it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> So they're singing, you're bulletproof, nothing to lose, fire away, fire away. As you're like going off down there yeah. and they're just reminding you that you're yeah. full of titanium. Yeah. I mean, that is a belter, that, isn't it? It is Proper a belter. Like... So then what happens <laughs> is you find the nearest bar and you put on Sandstorm by Darude and you just go for it. That's my new Oh, please tell me this is your final, this is your final track then. Yes, that, my final track is Sandstorm. That is just everything, yeah. And then, well, actually final track, but then you have a few, you know, you get a bit boozy and then you want something to sing along to. So it becomes like, you know, Sweet Home Alabama, you know, that falling out the place. Or do you remember Three Non Blondes? What's up? Oh, yeah. I like that one as What's well. What's up? Morning and I step outside and I take a deep breath and I shout real high and I... That one. What's going on? I used to work on local radio, so I'm very familiar with that. Okay. <laughs> Blasting into I'm my ear I'm not amazing at singing. Apologies. I think that was quite good. That was all right. Is your is your standard night of apre then, does it, I mean, does it start like on the hill and then gradually make its way down and then... Just roll in at two o'clock or what? No, no, no. It starts on the hill. I go really hard. And then yeah. by 8 p.m., someone's put me to bed. And then I get up, <laughs> hopefully my husband, and then I get up fresh in the morning, ready to go. Shem Dog, thanks so much for joining us. We've loved having you in the log cabin. And you're welcome back absolutely any time. And you know, as always, if you ski past and we're not in, the key is always on the top and you can uh, let yourself in. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. That was really fun. <laughs> That's it. That's the show for this week. Hey, Tim, uh, if I want to find out more about what Shemi's up to, how do I do that? Over at Instagram. Check her out. At Shemi Ski on the old Instagram. That is at C-H-E-M-M-Y-S-K-I. Hey, and if you've loved this, then you know what to do. Make sure you hit subscribe to hear us every single week when the new episodes drop. Or big news for next week. We're going to be sharing our favourite moments from this series of The App Ray and our top feedback from the show. Yeah, let us know what you've made of this maiden voyage of the good ship log cabin. I've lost the metaphor. At The App Ray Pod <laughs> on Instagram or Twitter. Or email Wait, us, theappraypod at gmail.com. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know I'll read anything that you put in front of me. Thanks again to Shemi. Thanks to you, Tim. Thanks. Ollie, thanks to you, man. Thoroughly enjoyed every single minute of this. It's been brilliant. 
that sounded sarcastic. And no, thanks to our producer, Matt Hill, at Rethink Audio. Yay! Uh, there he is. Thanks, Matt. And we'll see you on the slopes for our Series 1 roundup next week. Bye! Bye.